0: Well hello, I'm Mark Ellen and he's Kevin Howlett and we've had the wonderful job of going back to listen to all three of the anthology records, uh, which has been so exciting. And uh, the first one pretty much tells the story of the tail end of the skiffle group that they once were to the leather jacketed rock and roll covers band and eventually to the worldwide uh, pop ambassadors of 63 and 64. And uh, it's been fantastic, isn't it? real insight into the atmosphere and the creative process.
1: It's been absolutely fascinating, because these albums came out 20 years ago. 1995, the first anthology came out. And the excitement at the time was revolving around the fact that the Beatles reunited, as it were, with a John Lennon demo and, and cut free as a bird. So that kicks off the album. The Beatles first new recording since they split in 1970. Which is amazing to
0: hear, isn't it? You uh, know?
1: Yeah, Ringo, I think at the time, said, you know, it sounds like them, and George <laughs> yeah. said, it sounds like them now. You know, now. So you can hear, you know, 25 years on, what the Beatles would have sounded like if they'd continued. I mean, obviously the sad thing is uh, John is represented by a... Uh, a rather low fi cassette recording of his song Free as a Bird, and the other Beatles completed the song with him and overdubbed. So it's a historic recording. But the rest of the anthology album, of course, taking up with that prefab history before they had their first hit single on Parlophone Records. So you get these really interesting recordings of the quarrymen, as they were before they became the Beatles, when they went into a, a, a little living room
0: studio in Liverpool in Liverpool that's right
1: and they cut That'll Be The Day they were huge Buddy Holly fans so they cut That'll Be The Day oh, that's
0: and really worth hearing isn't it I mean it's almost an impersonation of Buddy Holly by John Lennon but
1: you can hear all the ingredients there you can hear that great John Lennon voice oh. on there can't you and, and the other
0: thing is that there's a terrific track called You'll Be Mine again really worth hearing where you get this early idea of his surreal goons type humour there's a line where he goes my darling when you burnt the toast the other morning I looked into your national health eyeball <laughs> Do you think this is pretty Brilliant,
1: you know. <laughs> also, you get these interesting uh, songwriting combinations at that time, because on the other side of the, that'll be the day 78 that they cut in, in Liverpool, there's a Paul and George song,
0: In Spite of All the Danger. And you there's know. a, later, there's a John and George instrumental, isn't it? It's exactly. extraordinary.
1: Exactly. And then you fast forward to when the, the group are in Germany, and they're playing the nightclubs of Hamburg, but they actually do a proper recording when they back up Tony Sheridan, and they do a song called My Bonnie, a rocked-up old song. And that, of course, in, in Beatles history is so important because that's the song that was asked for by Raymond Jones when he that's went into right. Brian Epstein's record shop. and, and That's Brian, where
0: Brian first heard of the Beatles, wasn't it?
1: He prided himself on knowing about every record and would stock every release, and that stumped him. So he thought, well, who are these Beatles? And it turned out that they were local, And he went down to the cavern and saw them. And and I love the fact that on Anthology, you can also hear a bit of Brian reading his autobiography, Cellar Full of Noise. So you get that idea of the kind of person that Brian was,
0: rather sophisticated and uh, rather Rather posh. posh. (laughs) Very, very posh accent. But also My Bonnie and Ain't She Sweet that they also recorded. It's interesting because that's the period, the transition between Tin Pan Alley and and rock and roll. So they're really playing songs that were their parents' generation tunes and they're trying desperately to rock them up. And also it's very interesting when you hear the tracks
1: from the Decca audition. They auditioned for Decca Records on the 1st of January 1962. Listening to those recordings, they were famously rejected by Decca. You listen to them and you
0: think, uh, well... Would I have rejected
1: this group at the time? I know, it's so hard to tell,
0: isn't it? Interestingly, they were incredibly hungover. When you listen to these, when you stream them, remember, they were appallingly hungover because it was New Year's Day. And Brian had said, do not go out and get drunk on New Year's Eve.
1: But on the other hand, there's two Leonard McCartney originals amongst those songs, which both became hits after the Beatles became successful. Yes, for other people. For other people. Yeah. A Hello Little Girl and Like Dreamers Do.
0: So and they were obsessed with the Coasters, weren't they? Who did, they loved uh, uh, the Coasters. Three cool Cats, this beautiful kind of... It's almost like a cabaret soul, almost novelty record. And their sense of humour, this lovely bit in Shake of Araby, where John goes, not off! <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's got a lot of character, even if it wasn't what Decca wanted.
1: And then the, the anthology really takes off when they start to become successful, and they, their rise is incredibly quick. And in '63, they just take the UK by storm. And there are some really significant TV broadcasts that we hear the soundtrack of on this first anthology
0: collection, Sunday Night at the London Palladium. That was such a big
1: Sunday evening well,
0: show. Well, it's a brilliant period because it's only a matter of weeks. And it, you can say, genuinely, this is the soundtrack to Beatlemania. This is the moment when they were on the cover of the newspapers, I think, for six consecutive days. It's the London Palladium show. Then they, there's a bit where they go and play rollover Beethoven and stuff in, in Stockholm. Amazing live performance. And then there's the Royal Variety performance, which is uh, astonishing. And in that time, they had simply gone into a stratospheric ascent.
1: You can feel it. But, of course, they charm everyone. And and the famous line that you'll hear in the anthology collection from John before they do Twist and Shout, you know they would always invite people to clap along and he asked the people in the cheaper seats to do that. And then looking at the Queen Mother and the rest of the aristocracy who were there, he says, if the rest of you, just rattle your jewellery.
0: Which is brilliant, isn't it? Because actually that was just as significant as their performance. In fact, more so. That's what made everyone realise that they were old.
1: That was a rebellious act, but was so charming that uh, nobody minded. And that end of 1963 is such a peak of Beatlemania and they appear, for example, on the Morecambe and Wise show and they Morecambe and Wise... Britain are very, very popular and they take part in a in a sketch and a song with Morecambe and Wise oh, This is superb. You can hear that. You've it's...
0: got to hear that. It's brilliant because the old gag about the uh, Ernie Wise having the, the short, fat, hairy legs and, and George Harris says, we're the ones with the big, fat, hairy heads, isn't it? <laughs> And then it's, you know, Eric, terrible impersonation. Sorry,
1: <laughs> and Eric Morecambe, uh, you know, looks over at Ringo and says,
0: "Hello, Bongo." Hello, <laughs> Bongo. Yeah, what's it like being famous? It's not like it wasn't your day, John says. So, so clever. But I think the interesting thing about that whole period is that the Beatles are capable of absolutely any situation they're put into. They've got the confidence. They've got the sense of unity. They've got the drive. They've got the The youth, the vigour, you know, they've had all that time in Hamburg. They once said famously that they they grew up in Hamburg rather than growing up in Liverpool. They, They were able to deal with any audience. And all of that experience, you can see that being honed into their ability to deal with any one of these situations. Which means that when they go to America in February 1964
1: and they appear on The Ed Sullivan Show in front of the biggest television audience to that date... Again, they just take it in their stride and America just rolls over and they're completely conquered by the Beatles. And you can hear in the collection, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show do all my loving. Brilliant performance. And what pressure must they have? Oh, it's astonishing. After? There's 73 million people We're watching, I think. And then the other thing is, of course, because when they break internationally in 64, uh, not just America, but then Australia and all over the world, Their schedule is so frenetic. How do they possibly find time to record songs for their next record and write them? Because they've very early on decided that they're going to do lots of original songs. And one of the significant moments, actually, that we should mention is that George Martin had found a song for them for their first Parlophone single, How Do You Do It? And you can hear a version of that on the anthology, and they do it very they do it
0: really well but it's not their song and therefore you feel they're just not committed to it
1: and and there's that alternative Beatles history what what if that had been the first Beatles single What, what would happen but no love me do their own song is the first Beatles single and from then on, every
0: A-side is an original composition. And the speed at which they did things, like A Hard Day's Night, they, the film doesn't include footage of them performing that song because they only wrote and recorded it right at the very end, which is astonishing. And when you listen to the version of A Hard Day's Night on Anthology, it's just wonderful, the atmosphere, they're laughing and falling about, joking, and they they'd been filming all day and then went and recorded the whole thing in about three hours in the evening. They worked so
1: hard and... You're right. When they're in the studio, it's almost like a refuge now. Because Beatlemania was mad. I mean, they were That's a good pursued point. everywhere. And Absolutely, s- screams at their concerts. I it's think a sanctuary it is away a from sanctuary. screaming girls and you know, they they policemen can, holding the crowd. They back. can just be there and relax and make music. But the fascinating thing in this first anthology collection is the way that they quickly arrange their songs when they're considering songs, for example. For a hard day's night, there's a beautiful song called I'll Be Back, and it starts off as a
0: waltz. As a waltz, it's a three time, isn't it?
1: And you hear John sing that for a little while, and then he says, it stops, and he says, it's too hard to sing. And then the next thing you hear, they've changed it the changed time signature. Time. And it's not the finished version because uh, when you hear the finished version on A Hard Day's Night, it's got a different riff on it, but you can see it's now getting there.
0: I love that whole idea that you can just see the evolutionary process. It's like looking into sketchbooks. There's a version, a very rough demo version of No Reply, one of my absolute favourites. It happened once before. What a great opening line, how gripping that is. There's just all those changes that are made at such speed and with such good sense. In fact, we should talk about the tracks that it's good that they didn't put on the record and tracks that uh, we're sorry they didn't put on the record i mean in terms of the ones they chose not to i think there's a uh, is it a harrison song called you know what to do it is ringo had been taken ill just
1: before the australian tour that they were going to go on and they found themselves with studio time and nothing to do properly, so they put down two demos. One was no reply, and the other was this George song, which was never returned to. I think George... A good decision. George would <laughs> yeah. admit that that was a good decision. <laughs> Not his finest hour. <laughs> but also there are songs like uh, One After 909, which they tried in 1963, and it and could then have
0: revived re- in what, six years later? Wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and then recorded it in the, what eventually became the Let It Be album. But it wasn't quite happening in 1963, but really interesting to hear. But the, the quality control, I've always marveled at how good the quality control was in, in their output. And so they made the right decisions. There's hardly any rejects really along the line, but one that's always baffled me. It's when they were putting together the Beatles for Sale album, which again they had to do so quickly in the run up to Christmas nineteen sixty four, barely any time for sessions. They spent a long time doing the original songs and then would very quickly do songs from their rock and roll repertoire to make up the album. But they did a song called Leave My Kitten Alone and it's got a fantastic John Lennon vocal on it.
0: It's really good. It's just a great version. And another great one is the version of Shout. Well worth hearing, which I think you think and I think could have been probably included on the Long Tall Sally EP. Yeah,
1: they love the Isley Brothers, and of course it's an original Isley Brothers song. And the Isleys really influenced that uh, falsetto Woo! in the Beatles album. Oh, do that That's again. where it comes <laughs> do from. That, again. that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so they do shout for a TV program called Around the Beatles, and they pre-recorded the the tracks before then miming to them in front of an audience. They do this Isley Brothers song, Shout, and if they'd have gone into Abbey Road and recorded that alongside Matchbox and Slow Down and Long Tall Sally...
0: That would have been a great four-track rock and roll. This is a game you can all play, (laughs) fantasy Beatles records, where you can rearrange the track list (laughs) based on these fantastic things they recorded and never released. So it's a very satisfying collection, I think. Uh, You get
1: that prehistory, very historic, uh, quite lo-fi recordings, but really interesting to hear. And then you hear the TV broadcasts, which were real milestones in their ascent to fame. And then I love going into the studio with them and hearing them so relaxed before takes, after takes, developing their songs. It's a really fascinating collection.